As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors. And I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I was told this back in 2014 by one of my favorite clients. I've been very fortunate, spend a lot of time with them and do a lot of deals with them. Don't step over dollars to chase pennies. I think that applies to pretty much everything in life. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, John Lindsay. John is joining us from Durham, North Carolina. He is the co-founder and president of Lindsay Self Storage Group, which focuses on self-storage brokerage development and management. John's portfolio consists of 400,000 square feet of net lease self-storage portfolio. John, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you today? Ah, it's great to hear you, man. Hope all is well in your world. It is a beautiful day here in Durham, North Carolina. So no complaints. 
Very cool. John, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? More than happy to. So my father started in the self-storage business in 1969. I grew up with him pouring concrete and running slab and covered job sites all over the Southeast with him. And coming up, I said, dad, I love self-storage, but I hate pouring concrete. So in 2012, my brother and I started Lindsay Self-Storage Group. As you pointed out in your intro, we do brokerage all over the US, Europe, and Asia. We owned our own portfolio of stores as well. We sold that in December of 2021. We also owned a management company, which we sold in 2018. And we continue to build sites as well. So we've touched pretty much every single facet of self-storage that you can imagine. But I would say that brokerage has certainly been our bread and butter over the past decade. Interesting. So a second generation self-storage investor this is a lot different than your father's day, isn't it? Very much so. It's interesting because I used to talk to my father all the time about, hey, how did you pick this site? Or how'd you go with the bank and do this? And he's like, well, I just thought it was a good corner. And I'd walk into the bank and tell him I needed this and they'd give it to me. And I was like, wow, I can't imagine that today. (laughs) Just thinking it's a good corner or a good location and just whimsically asking for a, I think this is enough amount of money. So times have certainly changed, but It was a really fun kinship to share with my father and my brother and I as well. That is awesome. John, I got to ask you, why has self-storage erupted in the last few years? If you look back 10 years ago, nobody bragged about, yeah, I just bought 300 self-storage units. Now everybody's chasing that. It's really interesting because as you correctly pointed out, 2012, banks wouldn't lend us a dime. We were begging them to give us loans and, and they were not great terms. But as we came out of the last recession, I think people started to realize that storage was the only asset class that performed really well through the downturn. It did really well 08 to 11 when everything else was hitting the fan, storage thrived. All the REITs performed extremely well and the trend started to catch on. So from 2012, 2013 until now, we have seen this hockey stick growth within the industry, not only of consolidation, but also construction spending. It has just been a whirlwind. And really, even through COVID, I think we've seen the gas pedal just completely mashed because, again, when you're seeing office and hotels and hospitality and everything kind of fall by the wayside, storage, again, has thrived through one of the worst times in American history in relative years. So I think all of that capital that was once looking at storage as kind of the ugly asset class in the back of the industrial park has seen, wait a minute, now it's this beautiful class A asset on Maine and Maine, and 08, it also does really well. So they've already had this capital raise, it's been redeployed into a wonderful asset class, and I think we're here to stay for quite some time. Who is the biggest user of self-storage? Because from my perspective, the only time I used storage was in college, in between semesters. So So who's the target market? Yeah, it's the three Ds, death, divorce, and downsize. Those are the three drivers of storage. So again, if a family member passes away, whether it's parents or relatives, they got to empty out their house. Divorce, obviously, splitting homes, moving, relocating, and downsize. Look at 2008, 2011, people were losing their homes or their second homes. They had to rent instead of owned. All of these were massive drivers for the self-storage industry. It seems like there's a lot of tailwinds behind self-storage. It's almost like it's unstoppable. What headwinds do you see? So one of the main issues that I think we've faced over the past few years, and it's a catch-22 of the industry, is that there are so many new entrants and so much capital being deployed in the industry. It's great because I'm a big believer in a rising tide raises all ships. I think it's wonderful. I want everyone to get into the business. 
But at the same time, we are seeing oversaturation in some markets. People are overbuilding, they're building on top of each other, they're ignoring feasibility studies. And in hypergrowth markets in the Southeast, the Dallases of the world and Tampa and Charlotte, that's a short-term problem due to the population projections that we have. But there are some markets in the US that I just don't think will sustain that, or it will take a very long time to come out of those. And I think those will be the markets where people face massive headwinds. On the other side of that as well, we've seen the 10-year treasury start to creep up already this year. The Fed's promised another six, seven hikes before year end. So it'll be an interesting recipe to see all these groups that have gone out and raised significant amounts of capital and trying to get it deployed and out the door, if they're just going to accept these hyper-compressed yields throughout the year, or if they're going to sit back and pause. My mind says that they're going to spend through this rising rate environment because at least it's better to get capital out now before rates get higher. But there will be groups that I think try and fly too close to the sun and try and squeeze those margins too thin. And it might be to their detriment down the road. Yeah. So what kind of cap rates are you seeing right now? What are the crazy cap rates you're seeing? We've done deals at sub four cap rates in major markets. And again, 10 years ago, that was unfathomable. We couldn't have given away an eight cap 10 years ago. Now it's just no one wants it. And it's just to see that type of hybrid compression is astounding. But at the same time, with debt as cheap as it's been, there are markets where I think that's made plenty of sense, especially if there's operational upside or expansion play. We are starting to see that climb back up now. The average deals that we're trading in the five to six range are now probably in the six, six and a half cap range, maybe even seven caps in some tertiary markets. We just have to create enough spread through marketing efforts right now, because we know that there will probably be a rate hike between now and the next 90 days. So it's our job as brokers to properly inform sellers as to this shifting market and where it's going. Because the last thing that we want, and we've seen it already, are sellers who say, well, my neighbor got a five cap for my deal. I also want a five cap. And I'm like, well, I'd love to do that for you. But the tides have shifted and they will shift again between now and when you close. I don't want to backload the market with product that is improperly priced due to the shifting debt market and buyer would be underwater day one. That doesn't work for anyone in this day and age. All right. So it's good to hear that the self-storage market is on its way to equalizing. The multifamily market seems like it's getting hotter. What's your advice to multifamily operators, investors that are looking to transition to self-storage? There's actually a ton of overlap between storage and multi. There are a lot of operators I work with that are in both. And I agree. I've heard a couple transactions trade in the three sub three cap rate range for multi, which perplexes me. And, and great, I'm a wizard in storage outside of that. That is where my expertise stops. But I think, again, people need to be making offers nowadays with the anticipation of rising debt. It's no secret it's going up. It's not going down anytime soon. The bond market is betting that by 2024, it kind of rains back in. But for now, we have promises that it'll be raised. And the Fed's predicting seven hikes. I don't know if I believe the Fed that much, but even four or five hikes before the end of the year, that could be another 100, 150 basis points. And if you're not building that into your model, we're going to see a lot of retrades and a lot of bad deals get purchased. Have you seen multifamily operators successfully scale in self-storage? Absolutely. We've had a number of groups do both. I think when you look at trends in the United States, the two tend to go hand in hand. Again, you're looking at high growth markets, tertiary markets, renters instead of owners, usually near major universities or military bases or anything like that. 
So we've seen a lot of success through these. And even when you look at just an efficiency standpoint, a lot of multi-guys will buy larger tracts of land to build their multi-projects and they've got an extra three to five acres. Well, that tends to bode very well for storage. So I think, again, there's a lot of synergies between the two. We're seeing it work very well in a lot of markets. Again, I think the key, though, is chasing that population growth and creating a supply for a demand that we know is going to occur once that product is open. Interesting. You mentioned multifamily owners that have extra land, mm-hmm. building self-storage on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all the new self-storage that I see is beautiful, class A, multi-story, LED lighting. Are municipalities still okay with the old metal siding storage units today? Yes and no. It depends. I think some markets, absolutely. A lot of tertiary markets are, are thrilled to welcome any new business to their market, which I think is tremendous. But if you're building multi-story product or buying a class A corner, not only is it probably required, but there's no way to make that deal pencil for the rents you need to obtain unless you go vertical and do all glass and a pretty facade and neon lights and signage. So it's, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It feeds into itself with the type of real estate that people are buying because again, 10 years ago, people weren't buying main and main corners unless you were in a top 25 MSA. Well, now we've seen that work. Even here in my backyard in Durham, we've seen a number of multi-story class A facilities be built on very main and main locations that have done extremely well. And if you had told us a decade ago that that would have been possible, I just couldn't have comprehended it. But it has certainly worked its way into top 100 MSAs and more tertiary markets. And I think we're going to continue to see that trend for quite some time. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. You take on investor capital for your deals, right? Yes, we had. With all my family deals, we had brought in other investors on those. John, what's the typical return to investors? Well, let's say across the board within the industry, I think people, if they're looking at acquisitions, are in the 
one and a half to two X, 15% plus IRR for existing acquisitions. That may increase with development. They'll probably be more in a two X, 20% plus IRR range. But something that I always tell people when they're looking at storage, storage should be your hedge when stuff hits the fan. This is your multi-generational wealth tool. You don't need to go out and 10X a project. I'd rather do 100 projects between now and the time I die and one and a half X multiple on each of them and a 15% IRR and just bat a thousand. It's all about hitting singles and storage. And I think it gets overlooked. Storage is sexy and certainly has garnered a lot of attention recently. And sometimes I think people get a little bit over their skis and attempt to ultimately launch that five, seven, 10 X project. They either build too much product over leverage themselves or don't fully adhere to the feasibility studies that they've had created for them. John, you've got two generations of knowledge contained within yourself. What's the biggest mistake you see people make in self-storage? I'd say the biggest mistake I see people making in self-storage is not listening to other industry professionals. This is the most open and fluid industry I've ever been a part of. Everyone is extremely open book. Even your most direct competitors will tell you, hey, here's how full I am. Maybe you shouldn't build that 100,000 square foot facility next to me. Or they just don't adhere to the feasibility studies they've paid for to get them done. And I tell people all the time, a feasibility study might cost you $5,000. I'd rather make a $5,000 mistake than a $5 million mistake building a new facility. So anyone that's looking to get into self-storage, highly recommend working with the best of the best, whether it's Feasibility companies, brokers, developers, other industry professionals, listen to those around. For instance, I even just sold my personal residence. I could have done it on my own because I happen to have a real estate license, but I chose to work with a residential realtor because that is what they do best and they do it every single day. I recommend the same for people entering the storage business, work with people who do this every single day. John, in all of your years, what's the hardest lesson you've learned? The hardest lesson that I've learned was not buying enough self-storage in 2012. (laughs) I think in all sincerity, again, this is a very, very tight network within the storage industry. And I think people who do not treat it like that will not be as successful within the space. There are many overlaps within it. Everyone knows everyone. There's a lot of connection pieces and that can certainly work to your benefit. And it does 99% of the time, but it can also work to your detriment as well. So again, I think anyone coming into this space should have open eyes, full heart, ready to kind of adhere to whatever advice is to come their way and and play nice in the industry and you'll do just fine. What's a deal you lost money on and what was a lesson learned? To be honest, I've never lost money on a deal that my family's owned and operated and sold, but I've certainly lost out on the listings before. And I'm never regretful of it because with each one, I, I learn a little bit. But one of the things that we hear the most is that, well, this other brokerage firm beat you out by $2 million on the valuation. And sometimes we have other firms that overprice a listing just to fish the deal from a seller. And we just refuse to do that. Something that we've always prided ourselves on is being a long player in this business. Again, we're 50 plus years in the industry now, and I'd rather lose a deal while giving people the right valuation of their property then win it and not sell it at what I promised them I would. So look, we're here for the long game, not the short game. And I'm fine with being patient and making the right clients with the right deal prices. Do you have all of your facilities close by or do you remotely manage them? All of our properties were in North Carolina, Virginia, and Tennessee. 
closest one would have been two hours, furthest would have been a 10-hour drive. We do believe in remote management. There is a lot of value to be created from that. All the stores that my family had were staffed. But again, I think there's appetite for both just depending on what market you're in and where you're going. What's your best tip for people remotely managing their self-storage units? I'd say best tip for people remote managing is getting the right software in place and partnering with the right companies. Highly recommend checking out products like Tenant Inc., the Noki Janus system. That is their keyless lock system that you can open with your cell phone. And I think getting products and services like that in place will be perfect for running your facility remotely. And the one thing that I always like to point out to people, there's no such thing as a completely unmanned facility. You still need a repairman, maintenance man, someone like that to come out and take care of the site. So don't overlook those things when you're trying to create a fully remote or or manless platform, because there will be some legwork on the ground at some point. John, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever. I was told this back in 2014 by one of my favorite clients. I've been very fortunate to spend a lot of time with them and do a lot of deals with them. Don't step over dollars to chase pennies. I think that applies to pretty much everything in life. John, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Hit me. Let's do it. All right, John. What's the best ever book you recently read? Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And what was your big takeaway from that? I think being unique within your own space and what it takes to be there in the first place. John, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Best ever way I like to give back is my time. I've served locally in in our community a ton. One in particular is the Caring House here in Durham, North Carolina. We provide uh, affordable housing for people seeking cancer treatment at Duke Hospital. And John, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Best ever listeners can reach out to me on WhatsApp or on my cell phone, 919-381-7799. You can also visit my website, lindsayselfstoragegroup.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter and accessible 24 hours a day. John, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and sharing your story, being a second generation self-storage investor, teaching us a few of the high level tactics of how to be successful, giving some of my multifamily colleagues advice on transitioning. So thank you for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review, share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.